Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Neil and Robbie podcast. Robbie, how are you? Neil, I am fantastic, mate. Really, really good. Um, how are you, mate, more importantly? So you just got back from the race around Rwanda. Oh, do, do you know what? I don't even know where to start. It was, uh, it, it was amazing. It, it was just amazing. Um, yeah, so welcome to the show, everybody. It's probably not been a while because I know we released the last episode fairly recently because I was basically sat on it for a while, uh, which was part one of our Rwanda special where we had a conversation with the organizers, Simon and Matt, and they gave me a pretty good idea of what I might be uh, in for or might be expecting. So today we're going to do part two of that two-part special, which is going to be the post-race in-depth analysis and and Q&A session uh, where Robbie's going to ask me a load of questions and find out exactly what the race was like. Um, So, you know, I think, should we just launch straight into it? Yeah, let's uh, actually, can I just mention one thing before we launch into it? No. If you you dot watch, follow races and things like this, I just want to quickly mention just two minutes on the Atlas Mountain race. Uh, just brought that is the honestly the the most amazing dot watching ever right now so I, I won't I'm not sure kind of if you're following the story on this but we're currently at the point of where Sofian is is quite far out front James Hayden's chasing him down I looked at my phone 10 minutes ago and James Hayden's had a mechanical uh, I think that was earlier on today was it was that where he had to get somebody to basically uh, bench grind off his tubeless valve Yes, this is it. This is where I'm up to. Yeah, that was early on today, and he, he had it fixed in five minutes. Oh, wow. Okay, that's good news then. That's good. Okay, news. so for those of you who don't know this, currently the second big race of the season is going off. The first one obviously being the race around Rwanda two weeks ago. Uh, the second big race of the season is going off, and it is the Atlas Mountain Race, organized by the same uh, team behind uh, Silk Road Mountain Race. So Nelson Trees and his team. And, you know, it's fair to say this has attracted a very high quality field. So we've got uh, James Hayden and Sofian uh, Saheli, who are currently, uh, you know, uh, Sofian's first, James is second. They have had what looks like an incredible race. So really reigniting that rivalry from the Italy divide last year. From what I can work out from following the uh the tracker and following all of the updates sofiana slept two hours in the last kind of 80 i think when did they start uh did the race start on saturday or sunday i think it started sunday didn't it i think it might have done sounds more likely uh i really i probably need to double check now um but yeah so it's been going for three days sunday monday tuesday is it tuesday today Yes, it's Tuesday today. Oh, I'm, do you know what? I'm totally losing track of what day of the week it is. Yeah, so it's been going for three days. Uh, they're coming up to the end of day three. I'm pretty sure Sofiane has only slept for two hours. Uh, I think James might have got about five or six hours of sleep. It is turning out to be an absolutely epic battle. The photos that have come through just look amazing. It's proper high mountain, desert, barren kind of rock-strewn environments. Um, you know, I've seen updates from Alex, uh, is it Alex Jacobson, um, 
who I raced with in the TCR. He's having horrific saddle sore. Uh, former pro Christian Meyer, he was leading for uh, probably the first 28 hours before he was taken down by saddle sore. Um, you know, there, there are people still only kind of 300 and, uh, 330, 340k through the race. You know, whereas Sofiane is nearly a thousand kilometers through the race. So, you know, the field is stretched out over such a long distance. Um, but it is it's just been, you know, incredible to dot watch and I've you know, I've really enjoyed that one. So uh yeah, I think we're gonna do a full roundup of this next week, uh, when hopefully I'll be reporting live from the finish line of Biking Man and Man. Uh more on that later probably. Um but yeah, so if you haven't checked it out, go and check it out. By the time this airs, probably we will have had a winner, but there will be lots of people still out on the course. And if you fancy a super hard race at the beginning beginning of next year, then uh, yeah, go check that out. So now, race around Rwanda. Yeah, where do you want to start? I, I have a million questions for you. So I actually re-listened to the episode the other day while I was training just to kind of get the predictions back in my head of what you predicted but I want to come back to that later so I just want to ask you some questions firstly when we did the last podcast you hadn't been to Rwanda you had only really just met the guys and had conversations with them I would start by saying when you got there what was Africa and being in Rwanda like it was not like I expected at all in what way uh well and and that kind of implies i was expecting something i i don't i didn't really know what to expect um when we arrived it was kind of really early in the morning so i I flew out with with omar who who raced as well Uh, we arrived really early in the morning it was it was cool there was a bit of cloud in the air um it it was like a, a fresh british summer's morning which kind of was the immediate shock and we jumped in a taxi at the airport to go to the start finish hotel. And I think the second thing that struck me was, oh, wow, this is going to be hilly. Because, I mean, even the airport seemed to be on a hill. The first thing we did was drive down a hill and then up a hill and then down another hill. And then up a really steep hill into the hotel, which was on top of a hill. So, you know, straight away, you got the, uh, you really got the sense that this was going to be a very, very hilly undertaking. Um I, I think the other thing that really I didn't expect was the cleanliness of the place. Really? That that surprises me. Yeah, like Rwanda is probably the cleanest place I've ever been to. And knowing that you live in Dubai, that's a really strong statement. Oh, look, Dubai has a massive problem with littering. If you go out into the countryside, they employ people to have to go and clear up because people a lot of people don't seem to care out here and they'll be out in the desert and they'll just throw rubbish everywhere so yeah you know when you go to the shopping malls it's nice and clean and tidy and what have you but uh rwanda i was to me was more like you expect singapore to be it was it was spotless Uh, i saw women out sweeping grass clippings off the side of the road and apparently every month they have kind of national tidy up day where everybody comes out, including the president, everybody comes out and spends a day keeping the place clean. So, yeah, that was a really pleasant surprise. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't... My first impressions as I landed were, uh, this is kind of definitely not what I was expecting, and in a really, really good way. I think 
I think when you travel to Africa, you think that it's going to be challenging travel that, you know, you might get walk out the airport and get hassle for taxis or hassle for this and hassle for that. Um, that it might just be a stressful experience, albeit a rewarding experience. But it was actually a really, really relaxing, easy place to travel. So, yeah, so the first impressions were, were amazing. Cool. So then, obviously, you settled in, got your bike ready, uh, hopefully no no mishaps or anything like that, and then got ready for the race and met all the other races. So how did you feel when everyone else turned up? Because you had some pretty strong competition but I always find when I go to a race, the first thing I do after I've kind of met everyone, I'm sitting there looking at everyone's bikes thinking, God, I could have done that. This would have worked. So how did you feel just before the start of the race? Yeah, it felt, felt pretty good. Uh, I think the big, the big unknown that we all had was the weather. Yeah. We thought that we were coming after the end of the rainy season so we would get dry, fast conditions. And... You know, the afternoon of the uh, rider briefing, torrential rain, thunder, lightning, uh, water everywhere. And everybody's kind of looking nervously at each other going, oh, dear, what are we about to kind of let ourselves in for? And uh, so that that was a let's call it an area of concern. I think, you know, in terms of how did I feel before the race, this is this was my ninth race. Um, everything was pretty sorted in terms of the kit I was taking and you know there were no issues there there was none of this looking around at everybody else's setup going oh he's gone really light or do I need to take anything off you know I'm pretty sure about what I'm carrying now so you know none of those kind of nerves or worries or things like that you know there, there were some amazing riders there I think Simon and Matt had done a great job of attracting anybody who was really really good who wasn't going to the atlas mountain race was probably at uh, at the race around rwanda so we you know we had the likes of uh, tcr winner josh ibert uh, we had the likes of former national 24-hour time trial champion alton coyle uh, we had former world record holder uh, rob gardner we had bike man laos winner uh, jason black so we had a really strong strong field of experience races Plus, there were you know a lot of people there who were completely completely new to uh, new to ultra racing. So yeah, there was a lot of a lot of kind of excitement before the race, um, a lot of familiar faces to go and see. Uh, I, th- I think one of the really interesting things, uh, which I, you know I think we touched on last week in our interview with uh, with Matt and Simon, was that they introduced this concept of the journey. So they had the race and the journey. Now, the journey was, uh, it was still tracked, but it wasn't a race. So you could ride in a group, you could skip bits of the route. So they advised uh, that the, the journey route would skip all the gravel parts. And so there were a lot of people there who had never experienced the world of ultra racing. They weren't really racing, but they were there to kind of go on an adventure and go on a journey and and I, I think for them it was really exciting being surrounded by all these experienced ultra racers all getting ready to really uh, put themselves through the ringer so yeah it was it was really good uh really good before the start and yeah nine nine races in you kind of get used to it and so you know the night before I slept slept really well and was was up and raring to go the next morning nice nice it was um so start line talk about the start line to me what about then how did you feel then (laughs) 
it's like a line painted on the road and everybody sits behind it nervously waiting for the bell to go. It's interesting what you say about some of them you can cut the gravel out and do a journey. I think, um, I hate, in a weird way of saying it, after talking to Simon and Matt last time, you you kind of realise, I'm not I'm not going to lie, I, I know quite a few race organisers and I've met loads of them along the way. I had a really good feeling about them is they were just so positive and sure about everything and I, I knew the race was going to go well because you always first time organizers you always question you know like uh, do you know what you're in for but they really knew what they were doing and the organization everyone just kept saying organization was great organization was great so I'm really glad to hear that so obviously boom the race starts you're on your way tell me about your first day uh it was steep right out of the gate really steep so yeah, literally we came out of the hotel and turned straight up a really steep hill uh, that was like 14, 15%. So it was a really, it was a really uh, tough start. The first three kilometers were straight up or straight down. Luck- luckily that was all of the steepness pretty much for the first hundred kilometers. Um, so I always break these things down into the checkpoints or the, the stages to the checkpoint. So the, the start to checkpoint one was uh 217 kilometers and i think it had something like uh 3000 meters of climbing setting off was just beautiful it really was um we we set off in a obviously also off in a group and uh, you know we set off at half past four in the morning so it was all it was all dark we had our lights flashing away we had a police escort probably for the first uh, 20 kilometers or so and then gradually things started to split up i didn't want to get sucked into trying to push too hard at the beginning so i stopped to take a comfort break on a steep downhill about 25 minutes into the race and literally everybody went past me so you know from riding at the front having a chat with josh suddenly i'm i'm at the back and you know that was that was in a way a deliberate move to just not get sucked into that early morning uh kind of ego stroke adrenaline rush trying to trying to stay ahead of everybody when it's really really pointless that early in the race so after that I just had the chance to settle in the first 100k was all on tarmac it was all fairly gently rolling so not too much climbing there was a beautiful mist hanging over the valleys as we kind of made our way out of Kigali and you know got a chance to catch up with a few people spent a little bit of time caught uh talking to uh talking to gavin uh which was great uh chatting to um a couple one from south africa one from luxembourg who were racing together but taking it over the five days and and yeah just really really good chance to to catch up with some of the riders uh first thing um rwanda's really populated so it's rare that you don't have people around and that first morning, we were riding through what felt like just an, an endless sequence of, of villages and towns. And this is one of the other things that you, you realize about Rwanda is everybody's busy. Everybody's doing something. There were people, uh, people out running in the morning. We came across what I can only assume was the local football team leading half the population of a town through a mass running session <laughs> okay like we, we suddenly we come up and we're stuck behind 200 people all running behind a, a line of i don't know 25 guys all in the same color tracksuits 
And so you're kind of gradually making your way through until somebody notices you and then he's clearing everybody out of the way. So you've got a, a free path to go through to the front. So, yeah, it was just really amazing. And then, yeah, about 75, 80K in, stop for, stop for water. Everybody who was um, riding bikes. So bicycles is probably the most common form of transportation for both people and goods in Rwanda. So everywhere you see these bike taxis, which are these big, heavy, single-speed bikes. They have a seat on the back to take a passenger or to take a big load. So 75k in, we stop outside this cafe, and there's about 20 of these bike taxis lined up outside. And of course, we rock up, and we've got Garmin devices on the handlebars. We've got multiple gears. We've got all this kit hanging off it. And everybody's fascinated by it. And uh, so you very quickly learn the the Rwandan for, uh, you know, funny white guy, which is Mazunga, Mazunga. So everywhere you're hearing this cry coming out, Mazunga, Mazunga, Mazunga. And these guys, yeah, on their bikes were coming up and they're, you know, they're prodding at the Garmin going, what's this for? What's this for? So, yeah, really, really a great, uh, great start to the race. Do you remember when we were in Peru doing Viking in Inca Divide? And do you know, it's the only place I've, I've kind of I, I enjoyed being obviously but it was it was odd in the same respect that everyone was just like hey gringo constantly at you and it was like you never really was too sure whether you should should embrace that or not <laughs> you know you weren't sure if they were calling you an outsider or you know like they, they or they said it just because you were different it was a little bit of a weird situation but it sounds like from what you're saying you didn't feel unsafe or anything there everyone was just just pretty down down to earth and cool yeah i you know never felt uh threatened or anything like that at any point so um yeah that was really really good uh the the mazunga the cries of mazunga were always really really friendly you know the kids would sometimes say give me money give me money and often you think well it's probably not their fault that they're saying that it's the people who've come before me who have given out money it's you know it's their fault for doing that and and often it was just their way of saying hello so yeah really really friendly and um very safe so omar dropped his wallet going through one village no the local villagers picked up the wallet and thought well clearly if we give it to the next mazunga who comes through on a bike they must know omar because there's no way two people, two mazungas on bikes come through this village and they don't know each other. So they gave they gave their wallet, they gave Omar's wallet to the next person along. And so Omar got his wallet back. Nothing was missing, nothing touched. It's, it's lucky that he wasn't leading the whole race the whole time. Because <laughs> if he was, he probably wouldn't have got his wallet back. Uh, no. Um, yeah, luckily he was he was caught up at the next checkpoint, so he he did get his wallet back. So yeah, so those early impressions were were just amazing. And then after about 100k, we cut off onto the first gravel section, and the gravel really was the gravel really depended on or the gravel dirt really depended on the weather conditions. So that first morning it was it was warm, uh, it was dry. So that first bit of gravel was super fast and we're flying over it and everyone must have been thinking, this is amazing. This is going to be such a a smooth, easy gravel ride. And then you hit the rough bit 
which had also been churned up by the rains and cars passing over it and it was rocky and bumpy and immediately I'm looking down at my 38mm tyres thinking I probably could have gone a size wider. And, uh, you know, one of the Rwandan guys was racing on 25mm road tyres so he was having a nightmare on all of this stuff. Um, Anyway, so yeah, hit the gravel which is obviously part that I really, really enjoy so hit the gravel hard and caught up a few people and then was overtaken, which surprised me. And and maybe it shouldn't have surprised me, but this guy, Sean, who I'd had a few conversations with before the race, uh, he's an experienced adventure racer. So he does these things where, you know, you ride a bike, you pedal a kayak, or sorry, you paddle a kayak, you might do some running or some climbing, these kinds of things. Suddenly... Uh, I hear this voice cry out behind me going, hello, Neil from Dubai, as he came shooting past on the gravel and and disappeared. And and I was just like, whoa, where'd he come from? And uh, that kind of triggered the start of a bit of a ding-dong battle with uh, with Sean through through most of the race. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, kind of chased after him. And, you know, eventually we stopped. We got some water together and and then carried on. And, uh, you know, I think uh, he was fast on the flat gravel and then I kind of pulled away on the hills. And, yeah, eventually arrived at checkpoint one, I think, nine hours in. And I, I think to my surprise, shock, amazement, I'd gone from being at the very back after my comfort break to uh, to fourth place. Yeah, I remember looking at the tracker and thinking, he's killing it. <laughs> he's absolutely killing it. Because there was, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, there was a, 67 people in the race, if I'm correct in saying. I'm not sure if all of those started. But yeah, you were you were well up the front. I was sitting there going, I think, I was like, come on, Neil, don't stop for long. Don't stop for long. Everyone else has stopped for ages. Go, 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 go. <laughs> just screaming at the at the screen, you know, hoping the best for you, obviously. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You texted me saying, don't stop for long. Everyone stopped for ages. Just crack on. And there was a reason that everyone stopped for ages. And that's because the speed of food service in Rwanda is glacially slow. So despite the fact that Matt and Simon had said to the 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 staff at CP1, you're going to have a lot of very hungry cyclists in, make a big vat of pasta and a big vat of bolognese sauce and serve it up to them quickly. That clearly fell on deaf ears because it was taking like half an hour to get food. And so there's all these tired, grumpy, stressed out ultra racers going, where's my dinner? Where's my dinner? So yeah, everybody, everybody had to wait a, a bit of time there. So yeah, so getting up to fourth at, at CP, CP2 was was fantastic. And then I think uh i think i managed to gain a place in the in the turnaround at cp2 so i came out of cp2 in third and yeah continued to push into the next gravel section so by by this time it's probably about four o'clock in the afternoon and again another section of super smooth gravel flying along you look down and your garmin says you've got 175k to go to the next checkpoint or 185k to go to the next checkpoint and at that point, you, you're starting to entertain thoughts of, oh, I can probably be there by 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, um, because this is, you know, this is running fast. And then, of course, again, the gravel starts to really bite. It got quite challenging. It was rough. It was steep. Uh, lots of kind of long, slow, steep climbs. And 
oh, just but really atmospheric. There's a really, really amazing photo that uh, Ryan Lagarrick got uh, because he was following me for a couple of hours, taking some some photos and video uh, as we went into the evening. And I'm doing this long, long climb up, probably topping out at about 2,400 meters. So a good 1,000 meters vertical climbing. And one of the local villagers had set this fire going. So there was loads of smoke billowing across. I'm kind of riding through the smoke and there's there's a, a villager watching over me. And it's just, you know, we'll put a link to that photo in in the show notes because it just looks amazing. But that whole... Uh, that whole evening was just so atmospheric and probably about half past five just as the sun was starting to drop the thunder and lightning starts so you could see it I, I think I'd stopped to do a Facebook live video and suddenly there's this massive crack of lightning uh, and thunder and you just look up and you go oh shit this is gonna get really really tough that scares me a little bit I can't lie so I don't mind racing some stuff with a bit of gravel i don't mind being in some pretty awful situations but the minute i see off-road in adverse weather conditions put together i get a little bit like oh (laughs) this isn't ideal so hats off for you to carry on going into that um didn't really have a choice to be honest It, it was so accommodation at the checkpoints was easy to come by and there were certain towns along the route where you could get a hotel but going into this kind of gravel section there wasn't really much in the way of accommodation so you really had no choice it was push on or or turn around so and it actually you know the rain held off so it was just thunder and lightning rolling around uh, the valley and the mountains and quite impressive thunder and lightning it was it was really quite cool um luckily i just got off it started to drizzle and then i just got off the gravel before the rain really started to hit so i caught up with a couple of uh, local guys uh, a couple of the rwandan racers uh, they were racing as a pair so we got this village uh they were saying oh where are you going where are you going we'll follow you and and i realized they just because they didn't have any navigation on them and they didn't really know where they were going so stopped to get some water and uh, you know i'm kind of debating in my head you know what's the weather going to do how far do i push do i continue to push through the night or you know do i stop uh, because again as i said you know i knew there was a hotel in like 25 kilometers beyond that it was probably another 45k of challenging terrain before you got to the next hotel so you know these questions are floating around in your head and then about five minutes after we set off up the road the heavens opened it was probably the worst rainstorm i've ever ridden a bike in i mean it was coming down floods down the road worse even than kind of going over the Galibier not the Galibier going over the Glandon on the Hope route six years ago which was to date the most awful weather I've ever had this wasn't too bad because it wasn't cold but man was it raining it was thundering and conditions were just awful and we'd come through like a muddy bit that had clearly had rain and it was just it was almost impossible even with me on kind of gravel tires with a little bit of grip. So kind of in my head, I'd thought, right, I know if I push on, I'm going to 
have to go through a fairly serious gravel section and there's a lot of gravel and mud so i don't think the rainstorm's going to last you know it's not going to last an all it's not an all-day rainstorm so you know i made the decision to stop early get into a hotel get some sleep and then try and get off as early as i could the next morning so that's what i did so i stopped and then you know got some food uh, this is probably the one area where i think my race wasn't as slick as it could have been because what i should have done was get into the hotel order food go and check in get rid of my stuff in the room then come back and eat and then go straight to bed get three four hours sleep and then get up and carry on riding but you know i just made a mess of the sequencing of things but uh, i was sat in the hotel uh bar restaurant area eating some food and i was on uh i was on whatsapp to my wife you never called me on whatsapp neil <laughs> no no sorry robbie i didn't i didn't um I, I knew i'd never get rid of you and uh suddenly there was a flash of lightning and and it was as if flash bulbs were going off it was like the paparazzi were in the room and then the thunder went off and it was literally right over my head and laura was like what was that and i'm like do you understand how bad the thunder and lightning is now she's she said yeah yeah that's pretty bad but the thing is though after stopping on that first night which isn't something which surprises me because i personally am not a big stopper like on the first night i normally try and go through the first night on most of my races so i remember you saying you didn't stop for very long if i'm if i'm right um oh you know what that first night i probably stopped too much i I was looking at the tracker and I was looking where everybody else was and I figured everybody else is going to stop. Nobody else is going to try and take this on. I knew that Josh and Ultan, who were probably about 90 minutes ahead of me at this point, I knew they'd pushed on and I knew they were going to have to fight through the, the weather to get to checkpoint two. But I figured Sean and Rob and Chris, who were behind me, I figured they would stop and they'd already been indicating in the whatsapp chat that they were going to stop at the hotel that i was in so i figured i was safe to get some sleep and then get out still still being in third place so you know go to, go to sleep wake up probably a little bit later than i was hoping for you know i woke up at like three o'clock still to the sound of rain gently falling and i was like oh no this is going to be messy and then of course you check the tracker and you realize that whilst Rob and Chris had slept and were still not moving. Uh, Sean had pushed on through the night. So he was now 50k ahead of me, 60k ahead of me. So the next thing I realise is that Josh has burnt out his brake blocks. So he's worn through his pads because he, he was in Rwanda for like five days beforehand. Rwandan sand and mud is really, really abrasive. So he's gone through a set of brake blocks and he or brake pads, and he's he's out of the race because he's toasted everything. And yeah, I can't believe this. Yeah, like it really threw me off. He's, you know, he's he's an amazing guy, Josh. If you've never met Josh, you must follow him on Instagram or just you will hear stories of this transcontinental winner. And he, he did the Tour Divide last year and stuff. You know, incredible guy. But he's just so on it. I just, yeah, I couldn't believe it when I really was out. Yeah. But then I start kicking myself because Sean pulled a fast one on me overnight. And I, rather than move from third into second, I was still third because Sean had taken 60 kilometers out of me. Anyway, so 
cracked on. Uh, luckily, the rain had the rain had stopped, which was good. Uh, but things were still quite damp. But you know, as the sun came up and as I hit the the second, or sorry, this will have been the third section of gravel or, or off road, um, things were pretty dry. But this next section through to CP two was just stunning. So we were coming through a section called the Twin Lakes, where it's this high dirt road that kind of follows a ridge line between two large lakes and the sun was coming up the lakes were below you um it was uh, it was it was just amazing absolutely amazing really you really knew you were riding in a very very special place and uh, yeah just just mind-blowing every corner you turned you just couldn't believe what you were seeing it was it was really incredible so yeah, so pushed on hard and eventually made it to CP2. Probably around, I think I got there about half past eleven on the uh, on day two. So half half past eleven in the morning on day two. Uh, Sean was still there and I think just leaving. Uh, Josh was obviously there having having scratched and I think Ultan had left uh, about uh, two hours earlier. Uh, and then whilst I was there, Chris uh, Chris arrived. So, you know, first through fourth were within probably three hours of each other at this stage. Fairly quick turnaround at CP2 and then straight out up into uh, the Volcano National Park. So out of CP2, 1,000 metres vertical climbing up into the mist. You've got all these eco-lodges advertising gorilla tours and you know you're looking around and you're surrounded by 4000 meter volcanoes at least i think there were 4000 meters but you know and the local kids on their bikes and kids probably their kind of late teenagers who were just starting to do their bike taxi work they would ride alongside you for like half an hour at a time and you're kind of churning away with your gear on its lowest setting spinning a nice cadence and doing maybe like 200 watts and these guys are just there standing, kind of riding up at like 30 RPM cadence, chatting away to you. Where are you from? What's your name? My name is whatever. Uh, come and stay in my village. Are you going on a tour? I'll take you to see gorillas, all this. And you're like, <laughs> how are you still talking whilst I'm kind of dying here? Uh, so, yeah, really, really cool. Really cool section of the race. And that then led to long, fast downhill off-road and then onto a fairly steady declining road all the way down to the border with the DRC, so the Democratic Republic of Congo. So we took a loop through the border town, which was just insane, really crazy busy, loads of people going to and fro across the border, managed to stop and get some food, and I was you know, talking to the people in the shop and trying to explain to them what, we were doing here in Rwanda, what I was doing here in Rwanda, and the, and they were just looking at me incredulously. Uh, and, you know, yeah, again, just another amazing experience. And uh, hit, hit some Rwandan cobbles down by the border, which were awful. And When you say awful, we're talking Paris-Roubaix awful? Oh, we're not, no, we're not talking Paris-Roubaix Paris horrible. We're talking maybe easier sections of tour of flanders horrible but still you know after 36 hours of racing your bike 
the last thing you want to do is rattle across some cobbles. And uh, yeah, so then came out of the border town and and then it was a long, long stretch down Lake Kivu, which is one of the biggest lakes in Rwanda, or it's, it's kind of the lake that forms the border between Rwanda and, and DRC. And that first climb out, which was because by this stage it was early evening, so six o'clock as I hit the base of the climb, the sun's just going down. It was a nice steady gradient, so 5% for 25 kilometers. So a really nice, nice, nice steady climb. You look to your right, you've got Lake Kivu. You look to your left and you've got volcanoes sticking up where you've just come from. And again, just a very incredible, incredible moment as you realize just the sheer scale of of Africa and, and where you are. And again, this just everybody busy everybody was out doing something nobody was sat around lazing everybody was busy everybody was hustling you know the the guys were out riding bikes ferrying stuff backwards and forwards girls and women were out filling up uh, tanks of water because there's no no real running water so everything is you know you have to go and fetch all your water and you know it's the evening so people are out talking to each other there's just a, such a buzz about the place that was really, really amazing. Um, so, yeah, then it was tough, tough hilly climbs uh, or tough hilly ride into CP3, which I got to at about 11 o'clock that night. So I arrived at 11, uh, caught up with Sean. I think Ultan had left maybe three hours earlier. So again, you kind of look and you look at the map, you look at where Chris and Rob were and they were still quite a way behind and looked at Sean, he looked pretty tired. So I thought, right, I probably can get three and a half hours sleep. Good bit of sleep because I, you know, I got five and a half hours the night before. Sean didn't get any pretty much. So yeah, that should set me up well. So yeah, I get to bed. Alarm goes off at 10 past three to realize that Sean didn't really sleep again and apparently talking to him later he said yeah I just I lay in bed and realized I wasn't sleeping so I thought I might as well ride my bike and Rob came in and didn't sleep at all he just came in at probably about one o'clock in the morning ate some food and went straight out again so again I wake up having gone having gone to bed kind of in kind of second third position i wake up to realize these guys are still two hours further down the road from me so you get up and you just think oh this is going to be a long 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 chase and that first section or that first section from cp3 down to where you turn away from the lake was brutal it was just nagging climb after nagging climb after nagging climb you were just never let alone and in the i think it was 100 kilometers down to the turning point you did 2000 meters of climbing and this was this was before you then hit the really serious climb which was the climb up to Yongwe National Park so yeah set off 3:30 in the morning i get 5 minutes down the road and i realized that i'd forgotten to fill my water bottles with water so turn around come back fill up with water turn around again and you know it is the little things like that it's the little mistakes that add up when you're so tired that that make a difference so um 
yeah, filled up filled up with water eventually, uh, and got going. And and you can't chase. You can't. You you can't look at that two hour gap or one hour gap or or twenty five k, and think, oh, if I push hard for three hours, I'll catch them up, because if you push hard for three hours, you're then in a bad shape for the rest of the race. So you just got to have this really really patient approach of got to stick to my race plan i know i've had more sleep than them i've got to hope this is going to come good i've got to hope that they've pushed beyond what their limit is that the fatigue will get to them and there's still a long way to race yeah no agree and so you know you had to stay focused like that so stayed stayed really well focused and i think you know this section from cp3 so I eventually rode from CP3 to the finish line in a single go. And it's probably one of my best segments in terms of maximizing time on the bike, moving the bike forwards. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I made it down to the turning point away from Lake Kivu and this was the climb up into Nyongwe National Park. And it greeted you with four kilometers at 12%, which was just savage it was just really really hard but then you came over the top and suddenly you came onto this plateau where they had tea plantations and the temperature had probably dropped 10 degrees it was suddenly it was cool it was pleasant there were people picking tea leaves in the plantations really amazing and then you carried on into the next section so as you then descended into the park itself through the park gates as i crossed through the park gates there were like six monkeys running in, running across in front of me. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. That's what you want to see from a high-altitude rainforest or cloud forest, monkeys straight away. And later on, I saw baboons. I saw the monkeys playing in the, uh, in the trees. Uh, I was mind-blowing. And then this was one of the few sections where it was not well-populated. So... We were probably about 20 kilometers from the border with Burundi. And whilst Rwanda is very stable and, and, and safe, uh, I think the, the surrounding countries are not necessarily quite like that. So there was a really strong border guard presence. Literally every 100 meters, there'd be a couple of border guards waving at you, smiling, holstering their AK-47s. And that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a, an interesting experience to go through. Um, but riding through the Nyongwe National Park was just mind-blowing. It was uh, relentless climbing. Uh, you know, I think in that whole section from CP3 to CP4, which was 190 kilometers, uh, it was 5,300 meters of climbing. Bloody hell. Yeah. That's so much climbing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and it's full on. And it's quite steep. And it was either up or down or up or down. Just nowhere to really get in the rhythm. And then the long descent coming out of the National Park just never really felt like a long descent. It felt like there was always something to break your rhythm. You know, just when you're looking forward to, I don't know, 25 kilometers of downhill, you'd get maybe 4K of downhill and then a climb and then 5K of downhill and then a climb. And always there was something to break your rhythm up. It was, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Um, and then that led through to checkpoint four which is the last checkpoint and i think this is where the race really then kicked into gear so i arrived at cp4 
And, you know, my first question was, when did Rob leave? And they said, Rob left half an hour ago or 45 minutes ago. So I'm like, right, okay. Where's, what about Sean? Sean's in bed with a doctor. Uh, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, anyway, it turns out he had, I, I think he had like the beginnings of Sherman's neck and had to, yeah, had to take more rest at CP4. He ended up staying there overnight before carrying on, but he was really, really struggling with, with his neck. So I was immediately thinking, right, how do I close down this probably what's going to be hour and 20 minutes to rob? So it was the fastest in and out of a checkpoint that I've ever done. I think the the people at the checkpoint were bemused because I was literally, just feed me now, feed me whatever you've got, give it to me straight away, give me some water, and then thank you, and then I was gone. And I think I turned around in like 20 minutes to to try and put the pressure on Rob because uh, I knew that he would be looking and he would be seeing how quickly I turned around the, at CP4. So, you know, we're then heading... We're heading up. There's like 50k of tarmac before turning off onto the last long gravel section. And in my head, I knew that Rob was not as well set up for gravel as I was. I was on proper gravel tires. He was on 32 mil slicks, I think. So in my head, I'm thinking I've got to catch him on the gravel. Don't don't go until you get to the gravel. And then push really hard on the gravel, and then you see the storm clouds looming and the lightning starts again. And it's seven o'clock at night, you're putting on your rain gear and you know that you're about to go and race through the night into a storm. And it was just, it was amazing. It was really, really, you know, it gave you such a, a kick of adrenaline. Anyway, so hit the hit the gravel sections, the rain's hammering down and I am literally letting everything go. I am flying down this mud water river strewn track bouncing off all kinds of stuff and you know every time I you know every half an hour I check and I'm like I'm gaining I'm gaining excellent this is brilliant I'm I'm catching him my plan is working coming down through these fields and do you know what the most amazing thing was it was the noise of the frogs really I have never <laughs> heard anything so loud in the middle of the night in the middle of a field it, it was deafening. Anyway, so I'm pushing really, really hard. I'm like really, really caning it because I'm thinking, yes, I'm putting pressure on Rob here. He's, you know, he's struggling because he's not got the right tyres and it's really, really hammering it down with rain. And then I cross this kind of dam across the river, turn right, and then I put up a steep, steep bank. And then I start pushing. And within 10 metres, my bike is so logged down with mud I can't move. I can't push my bike up. I can't pick my bike up. And it's this kind of realization. It was really, it was really strange. It was kind of a moment of clarity because you just kind of realize, ah, this is going to take me a lot longer to get out of than I thought. You know, my thoughts about being finished by eleven o'clock at night. I think I can throw those out the window. Yeah. And and I just kind of think, oh, well, what am I going to do? So I start kind of pulling the mud off and. And then I start picking my bike up and dragging it up this hill because it had about, I don't know, half a kilometre to the top of the hill. And uh, and then out from these bushes came a load of villagers. They're probably, you know, early 20s, late teens. I think they'd been drinking in the fields. And this 
this guy walks alongside me and he's like saying, uh, you know, um, he was trying to say that, oh, pick the bike up, pick the bike up, pick the bike up. And uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do anything with it until eventually he just literally took the bike off me and he walks up the slope with my bike and his sister's walking alongside me and she's telling me, oh, you know, look, that's, uh, that's our village at the top. Uh, this is our house. Uh, now we clean your bike. I'm like, what? She says, now we clean your bike. And they took my bike to their house. They got their basin out. They got their kind of jerry can of water. They poured some water out. And then there's three of them literally washing mud out of the bike. And uh, it was at, at nine o'clock at night. It was probably 9.30 at night by this stage. And it, it was just one of those really, really bizarre, strange, incredible, amazing experiences and that allowed me to carry on uh but carried on at a very much slower pace because every time every time you saw mud you were stopping and getting off your bike because you didn't want to get clogged up again and progress was so slow so you're kind of inching your way through this kind of really muddy dirty track and walking over the muddy bits because you didn't want to get mud uh, clogging up your bike, trying to find the dry patches that you could ride on. So I eventually kind of did this for an hour. And, and at this stage, you've given up all hope of of catching Rob. You just know that he's gone through this as well. And we, we're just both in survival mode. You know, eventually I get to this bridge, which had been like my marker point to get to because I figured, right, I get to the bridge and then I think I've got another 6K and then I'm back on the tarmac and it'll all be good. Anyway, I got to this bridge, I'm riding across this bridge, and then suddenly two guys with AK-47s step out at the end and go, excuse me, where are you going? I'm like, oh, it's one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, to be fair to them, the last thing they expect to see is a cyclist coming across the road looking like he's been mud wrestling. And uh, and so you kind of stop and explain, I'm going here, I'm going here, can we see your passport? Yeah, there we go. Uh, okay, you have permission to carry on down your road. And Rwanda is a very safe place. I'm like, okay, thank you. Thank you for telling me it's safe because I was looking at your big guns and worrying slightly. Um, and realising it maybe isn't so safe. Uh, no, I felt, I mean, I. it was really weird. I didn't feel worried or, or unsafe or anything like that at all. I just was like, okay, I just need to show them my passport and, and they will let me carry on my way. Anyway, so kind of pass through that checkpoint 6k came and then i realized i still had another 25k of gravel to go and by this stage it's like half one two o'clock in the morning and you 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 just you can't even you're so tired you can't even get upset by it you just accept that i've just got to keep turning the pedals keep turning the pedals keep moving it was still a mix there were parts that were dry and fast although you know you have to have your light on full beam and then you're trying to consider, you know, you're worried about is my battery going to last through till the end of the night? I need to see where I'm going to ride fast, but I need to conserve energy on the battery. And there's all these questions rattling around in your head. And then you get to the end and it's still really, really muddy. Uh, it was a construction site. So even at two o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, I went past like eight trucks coming towards me. There were diggers working at the end. And then the last kilometre and a half was just thick thick mud and I almost cried tears of relief when I got back onto the tarmac 
only to be greeted by another two armed guards going, what are you doing? Where have you come from? <laughs> so here I am. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to explain to these armed guards uh, where I've come from. And they're looking at me as if to say, how can you have come from there? That's a, a, it's the middle of the night. B, it's been pissing it down with rain. And C, it's a construction site. You must have had to dodge diggers and trucks. And it was like, yeah, well, I did. I did have to dodge diggers and trucks. Anyway, eventually they they let me go. And yeah, I had 55K to go, I think. But by this stage, fatigue is really kicking in. And I am so tired. I'm riding 20 minutes and then stopping to have a little rest and then I make 20 minutes more and then I have to stop because I'm just really, really struggling to keep my eyes awake on the bike until eventually at 5am I go through this small town and there's a bakery that's open and there's a guy sat on a chair around the side of the bakery and as I pull up he gets off the chair and I'm like, oh brilliant, I'm going to go and I'm going to get some bread and some water and then I can just sit on that chair for 10 minutes. And I went in and I said, what are those? They look like, are they samosas? They look like kind of Indian samosas. And he said, they are sambusas. I'm like, okay, that sounds like samosa. I'll have six, please. <laughs> I'll have six of those and a bottle of water. And do you mind if I sit on your chair outside? And he was like, no, no, looking at me very strangely. So got some food inside me, got some water, sat on this chair and just rested for 15 minutes. And that was all I needed. It was all I needed to then feel refreshed and ready to finish the race off. And yeah, the last two hours into Kigali, into the finish line, were just, yeah, beautiful. Sun was coming up. There was mist hanging over the valleys. The last climb up, all the kids are running alongside me. Uh, Leandro and Ryan had caught up with me and were like taking loads of photos and video and uh, yeah eventually rolled across the finish line in third place in a time of 75 hours which I was really 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 pleased with it was just I you know I felt the whole race went really well other than you know probably the sleep on the first night and not being as efficient on the first night as I should have been other than that you know really executed the plan well and uh, just really enjoyed the race really enjoyed it when did you roll in on day and time wise so i rolled in 7 a.m no 7 30 a.m on day three well that was tuesday morning uh hang on no 7 30 a.m on the wednesday so i was so i was three days and three hours wow that's really good going really good going well done mate like that's awesome thank you it was uh, it was just amazing. The whole Rwandan experience was amazing. Would you would you go back? Definitely. Definitely. I would go back and I would I would recommend it to anybody. Um it's it's not a it's not an easy course. It's a hard ride. It's there's a lot of challenging gravel and if you're not on gravel then there's a lot of climbing. But I think the way they've structured it with the four checkpoints, it makes it really achievable to go from checkpoint to checkpoint. So you could go and ride this in five days from checkpoint to checkpoint 
and have a really, really good adventure. Or you can go and go full gas and race it in two and a half, three and a half days. So, you know, the option's open to do either. But the experience you get, the being in Africa, racing around Rwanda, seeing the countryside, seeing the people, it it was it was magnificent. That's all I can say. Nice. So um we made some predictions of the winner of the race, how long he'd take, and we were thinking maybe he would get in on the Tuesday early in the morning. When did Altan finish? Um when did Altan finish? I think he finished in t- two days and 14 hours. Wow. Rob was either two days and 23 and a half hours or, or three days bang on. So, so I think Rob was three or four hours ahead of me. Yeah. And most important thing, we had a, we were talking about it last time, if I'm correct, in saying about what place you would come in. And I remember you saying, I'm going to win this, yeah? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, no, I know I'm, you were just... You were I just... believe I did then say I was joking. Yeah, no, you definitely said you were joking after. But um, it was interesting because I don't think you realised you were going to do that well. When I was sitting there going, Neil, you're going to kill this in my head, going, you're going to be top five. And you were like, well, I'm just hoping for top ten, I think, if I'm correct. That was roughly the predictions that were made so you must be pretty proud of a nice third place finish there podium yeah yeah i was really happy really really happy uh like i say the race went as well according to plan as i i could have hoped for really given you know it's early in the season not coming in with massive levels of training under my belt in in early february I, you know, I just want to go and, and enjoy the race and and try and execute my plans well. And yeah, my plans got, I, they, the plans went really, really well. I enjoyed the race. I loved the race. Let's not beat around the bush. This race was amazing. And yeah, just overall a really, really great, uh, great experience and, and great learning curve again. Um, you know, the last section I rode, it took me 27 hours to get from CP3 to the finish line, of which I was 24 hours on the bike, which is a really good ratio at the end of a race to be to be that much on the bike and uh, that little off the bike. So yeah, so just yeah, everything everything went really really well, and you know, great bunch of people riding. I think hats off to Simon and Matt because this did not seem like somebody's first ultra race or someone's first ultra race to organize it was it was done really really well and uh, and, a, and a great experience so yeah i expect to see you on the start line next year robbie <laughs> i think i will actually after after hearing what you've said about it and what everyone else said about it i definitely think it's it's on the list now definitely i just need to make sure i'm fit enough for it <laughs> that's the question and i get better on gravel because as you know i'm i'm not talented with the off-road yet <laughs> uh look if it was if it had been dry i think the gravel would have been fast and fairly straightforward there are a few bits where it was bumpy but not huge amounts uh just a lot of climbing it's a lot of climbing and it's a tough race early in the season nice again mate well done and what I want to say is, obviously, before we go, you touched on something a little bit earlier about where you might be in a couple of weeks. 
can you can you tell our lovely listeners a couple of weeks where you're going to be Friday? Yes. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. So, so I've been taking it really easy since the end of the race. I've been out on my bike uh, one, two, four times. One of which was a really steady, easy 40k recovery ride. Barely turned the pedals. Then at the weekend, I went out with a friend of mine here, Andrew. We did a an overnight trip, so rode 95k on Friday and then rode 90k back on Saturday from Schalke up to the border with a man at Dibber. And you know what? I felt amazing. I was looking down at my heart rate and thinking, wow, I feel good. Like This feels like no effort at all. I'm just riding away. So it'd be silly not to put that to use. Well, and I didn't think of it other than I feel great. And then my brother-in-law, Paul, sent me a text going, Neil, I know it's really late, but I'm still thinking of doing a man. I was like, okay. He said, is this a crazy idea? And I said, well, as long as you go in and ride checkpoint to checkpoint do two 250 a day you'll get round and you'll be fine and you'll have a you'll have a really enjoyable ride so i told andrew this and then he just looked at me and he said well why aren't you racing and i just went you know what i i really don't know i should i should because i was originally going to be there to do some video work for axel to do some live video but yeah i've decided to race so i went out yesterday morning and, and did a proper test on my legs and the numbers were fantastic, like some of the best numbers I've had for the kind of ride I was doing. So, yeah, so I, I then got in touch with Axel. Axel, thank you. You sorted me out with a place at the last minute. And we're all sorted. We, I pick up Paul at the airport Friday morning and we head straight to Amman. And the race starts Saturday night, which is interesting. It's a, it's a nighttime start. So we start at 8 o'clock at night. Very interesting. Um, the course has been changed a little bit since last year. So we start and finish in the same place, which makes it slightly longer, but a much longer start. So instead of it being 310 to the top of Jebel Shams, it's now 390 to the top of Jebel Shams. So to give more people a chance of getting there in daylight and before the end of that second day, uh, we're starting 8 o'clock in the evening. So straight into nice. an overnight ride. Perfect. So let's catch up about that next time, if that's okay. Absolutely. We'll run through plan and um, great race, mate. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to tell you guys a little bit more about it. So next week, we'll tell you a little bit more about a man and we're going to talk Atlas Mountain Race. Awesome. And if you have any questions on Rwanda, send us a message. Perfect. No, thank you. It's been amazing, you know, like hearing so much about it from you neil it's 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 kind of made me regret not going massively now <laughs> yeah you would have enjoyed it you would have enjoyed it it was like yeah inca divide but there were no dogs oh, i saw like two heaven. dogs in the whole race i didn't see any snakes <laughs> didn't even see any dead snakes i saw lots of goats and i saw two pigs and that was it oh and some monkeys so wildlife was just not a problem yeah no worries okay then mate we will catch up soon and thank you everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.